when you want to build a good culture, it's always be thinking about the person across the table, right? So I, I didn't have to introduce Glenn to anyone at CLA, but it's like, how can I help, right? And that's the message that we really are trying to send to some of these tech companies. How can we help you get your product further and to market faster if we can? Hey there, Powder Keg fans. This is episode 102 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we've got a really special episode with two guests that have decades of experience innovating in finance and helping small business leaders and entrepreneurs build successful companies. First, we have Glenn Dunlap, co-founder and CEO of Peerview Data. Uh, which is a SaaS company that specializes in benchmarking and comparative metrics uh, specifically uh, for CPA firms. So good combo today. When I introduce the other guests, you'll, you'll understand. But Glenn is a serial entrepreneur, and one of his other ventures he's founded is uh, Big League Tours, a company that provides unique high-end tours to all the Major League Baseball stadiums. Super cool story. I'm eager to dive in. Uh, I'm glad to have you on the show, Glenn. Thanks for being here. Great. Thanks, Matt. Next up, we've got Randy Dial. He's the managing director of CLA Indiana. CLA, that's Clifton Larson Allen, is a professional services firm and is the eighth largest accountancy firm in the United States. Really excited to have Randy on the show because we just announced recently that Powder Keg and CLA are teaming up nationwide to connect the fastest growing companies outside of Silicon Valley with resources like outsourced accounting and professional search to grow healthy and wealthy businesses. Glad to have you here, Andy, and, and eager to dive in. Awesome to be here. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more, and I've been waiting for this, uh, Powder Keggers who are listening, uh, eager to hear both Glenn and Randy's backstory, um, not just from the LinkedIn bio, but uh, <laughs> from directly from you. Um, I, my first question a lot of times on the show is, what is your first entrepreneurial memory? And Glenn, I'm, I'm curious what your very first entrepreneurial memory, did you always have it in your DNA? You know, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I didn't really recognize it back then, but uh, when I was a kid, somewhere about um, sixth grade, seventh grade, something along those lines, my, uh, my dad took me into town with, uh, we lived out in the country, and he took me into a small town where I grew up in Summitville, Indiana. It was a really small town. And he took me uh, in and said, okay, this is a guy that, you know, he, you know he's, I know him. I went to school with his daughter, that kind of thing. Uh, his yard obviously needs mowed. So then he takes me <laughs> to the next house, the next house. And then he dropped, he went, took me back to the first house, dropped me off with the mower and a gas can and told me he would be back to pick me up later that night. And so it was my job to go up to all these houses that he had he pointed out to me and ask them if they wanted their yard mode and, and explain to them who I was and then collect the cash and go to the next house. And so he, he was expecting to pick me up in the last house the last night. So, you know, it was Sink an, or swim. Yeah, right. And so <laughs> it was an early age. It was kind of one of those things where, yeah, I got, I got thrown out there. And so it was, uh, you know, hey, go do this. And, uh, and it, it was, you know, an early age got you in a, in a position where you had to figure out how much time is this going to take me, what, what's, yeah. what's it going to cost, and then go up to the door and ask him for the cash and then move on to the next thing. And so it was, uh, you know, I don't think my dad intended it to be an entrepreneurial experience, <laughs> but it turned out to be. So, yeah. What, what, uh, do you have a particular lesson or story from that experience that uh, you think particularly influenced the rest of your career? Well, I, what I think was interesting was, was that, you know, uh, the, the lesson I think I, I took away from it is that you look at it and you see somebody has a need. You mm -hmm. know, there was a need that the, you know, there's, here's a, 
you know, a gentleman that needed to have his yard mowed or a couple that needed to have their yard mowed. And, and it was, uh, so it was something when you're asking them for that, you know, the, I didn't understand it in sixth grade, but one of the things you sort of take away from it is that, okay, when somebody has a need for it, then you're actually providing them something with they need. So, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, an opportunity to serve them and to do yeah. it in a way that's, that's helpful to them. And I think when you look at that throughout your, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, if you, if you stop and recognize that this is something that somebody needs and I can help solve that need for them, then the rest of it is, is just how to, you know, there's, there's always an economic element to it, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're working with that person to help them solve something that they need, then it's, then it's not about a selling something, it's not about imposing on anybody anything, it just becomes something where now we've got an opportunity to, to help each other out. So. Solve people's problems. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Well, the, the childhood business, I'm sure, uh, is a little bit different than uh, when you started your first kind of adult company. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you, if you necessarily call it that. I'm, I'm still not <laughs> sure my business is an adult company yet. Um, but what was that first idea for you um, out of college that you decided to go after hard? Yeah, so most of my career has been spent doing um, uh, part-time CFO, corporate finance related work. And so I did that in a, in a few different fashions, worked in, in, in a, in a manufacturing company for years doing metal stamping and things like that so had a, got a chance to wear a lot of different hats and do a lot of things so it was not until 2003 that I actually launched my my first uh, company which was an, an outsourced accounting firm so that was uh, uh, you know launched that in, in 03 um, and that was just because of all of my career had led up to that and it was an opportunity to do that so um, so that was the, the sort of the first first one out of the gate. So. When you were kind of operating in that part-time CFO type of role, were there any um, patterns or consistencies that you saw that led you to start this kind of company that you wanted to start? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, and, and Randy can probably speak to this better <laughs> than me now because I've been out of that for a while, but I think some of the things that we saw, you know, back in, in those days were just clearly that as, as an early stage company is growing, uh, they've got their hands in all kinds of things, and it's it's an opportunity for them to, you know, to let go of something that they're probably not good at, probably don't like, but desperately need, uh, and need somebody to do it for them well, and uh, to just to take that role on, and that's that's something that we, you know, was just a consistent theme that we saw that people were, you know, struggling with that, and. Um, you know, it ultimately led to other things as well, outsourced uh, areas as well. So part, same way we were doing part-time CFO work, we ultimately got into part-time CIO and CTO and CMO and things like that. And, and so as an early stage company, you sometimes need the help of somebody in that C-suite level, but you don't need them full-time. So that fractional piece can just be a, a huge help. So yeah, it's, um, I think, I think every, every business, whether it's a, you know, at a C-suite level or you know, any other employee can really wrestle with, I, I know I need additional help, but I don't need that full-time person. And I That's need right. to be able to sort of step into that role sort of fractionally and then kind of be able to, to you kind of dial those knobs, you know, maybe it's right now I need that and then I can back off a little bit. And, and so, yeah, so it's, it, those are, those are common themes, but I think that, that always it's just that you saw an entrepreneur that was struggling uh, to keep up with all of those things, and that's those typically some things that they can, you know, let go of and to outsource. Yeah. That definitely resonates with me as, as someone who's got a million and one things to do each day, right. and it's really helpful to have the CLA on call via email, getting reports, keep, right. keeping a lot of that consistency that um, is just very necessary at any stage 
of a company, but particularly as you start to scale. That's right. Um, and, and I, I want to get to what you're doing now, Glenn, but first I, I, I think it's a good transition to hear a little <laughs> bit more about how, how Randy got it to do uh, what he's doing here as a head of sure. CLA Indiana. And uh, it's been really fun learning from you yeah. the last couple of months here, uh, particularly how you built a culture of winning and a culture of caring mm -hmm. there uh, at the office. I know CLA is named uh, the best place to work uh, in Indiana, Absolutely. number one accounting firm yep. in the state. Yep. Uh, so congratulations. Thank you. Um, but before we dive into all that, I, I'm just curious a little bit more about your background and how, how you got interested in business. Yeah, absolutely. So my background, um, typical high school kid, I was into athletics and so I, I kind of had leadership early, right? Mm -hmm. So captain of a team, those kind of things. What were some um, of the biggest lessons you learned when you were motivation um, yeah. you've got to be inclusive of everybody um, you just you, you learn that if you really want to thrive as a team and build a culture and have that chemistry you've got to have everybody working in the same direction yeah mm -hmm. so I learned that uh, in high school at a very young age through athletics um, into college typical you know accounting student um, nothing exciting really about that uh, but then when I did enter the workforce with this firm so I'm in my 22nd year with CLA Congratulations. Um, thank you. I, I, I got the opportunity to be somewhat entrepreneurial. Um, and, and what happened in the time that I joined the firm was there was a big market event happening. So Arthur Anderson mm. had happened and Enron and a lot of those companies were collapsing because mm. of fraud and just no transparency to the investors. Sure. And when all of that happened, new rules were released that required special work. And it happened to be an area that I did. Mm. And so in that early 2000s time frame, I and a couple others here in Indiana took it upon ourselves to just take this business and let's go after it. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being just a huge career um, item for me. It grew my practice. It really thrust me into the valuation community. It got me relationships all over town with other accounting firms who could not do this for their clients. They wow. needed another firm. Um, and, and that just helped me make myself from a career perspective to Absolutely. some extent. But I took the risk, right? It was something no one had ever done. We decided let's go after it. And there has what to be a What were you thinking when you're contemplating that risk? I mean, I know risk is not a flippant thing in the accounting and finance world. Yeah, I mean, risk excites me. I mean, I could see the opportunity, <laughs> sure. uh, frankly, and sure. I know there can be downsides to risk, right? But at the end of the day, if you're an entrepreneurial and you see some entrepreneur and you see something awesome, you just take the risk and you go after it. Yeah. So that kind of leads me Even if me, you're not an entrepreneur and just as a professional, yeah, in your career, knowing, "Hey, this might be a risk to go work at a startup or this might be a risk to shift industries." Absolutely. But on the other side of that, usually high risk, high reward. That's exactly right. And that led me to today's role. So today I lead the state of Indiana for our firm, which is a very entrepreneurial role. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've really had fun the last five years creating, I think, um, one of the best cultures in the state of Indiana. It was recognized by the Indiana Chamber for being such. I've got phenomenal leaders, and I think they just needed a spark, which sometimes relates back to the athletic scene, right? Yeah, people just need a spark, yeah. and it starts to ignite something pretty special. And that's really what's happened to CLA here in Indiana is, is the team saw a spark, they started to get behind the spark, and then that flame just fanned out, and now we're, we're, just, we're just crushing it. Talk to me a little bit more about creating the spark, because that a lot of times can be the most difficult part when forming sure. a culture. 
Uh, and I know it sounds like you had a lot of experience doing that in high school with some of the teams yeah. there, but certainly a lot more now in your entrepreneurial roles. Yeah, in the business world, uh, you know, from a team perspective, that spark needs to be, you know, what I say, all knowing. They got to be transparent. They got to be very communicative of the team. They got to recognize people. I think that's where a lot of businesses fail. They're not recognizing some of their people for mm. the hard work that they're doing. What are, what are some of the ways you've seen work really well with recognition? Uh, so I started the, the time that I took over this role, I started something called a happy Friday email. It was something so easy and small. And what I did in that email is I just simply started recognizing new client wins, people in the office that I saw volunteering in the community, someone going above and beyond in the office, whether it's someone that just decided to clean the dishwasher out that, that morning, right? Just little things. And I started doing that in a Friday email. And after I did that a couple times, I had one week, I'll never forget it. I had like 12 of my leaders come to me and say, thank you for doing that. It's really starting to create a buzz in the office mm. because we, we had never had that before. Um, and so just little things like that. I, I think recognition is something that is just such an easy thing to do. Yeah. And a lot of companies fail to do it. Absolutely. Um, but then you start doing that and people see, wow, this place is going to change. We got the spark going. We're going to change how we communicate. Um, and then just getting that message out to the market, whether mm. it's through relationships like this, which is just awesome, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that. LinkedIn, I don't care what it is, working with awesome people like Glenn, just getting that CLA and that culture out to the market and, and letting companies know we're here for you and we can help. Once you've got that spark and a little bit of a flame, it's more about fanning the flame and That's right. finding a way to spread it. Yep. Uh, Glenn, do you have any examples from your own endeavors of, of kind of the early days of creating that spark on your teams? You know, I think it's, um, you know, Randy lives this too. I mean, when you when you're really passionate about what you do, and your team can sense that, they can sense if you're if you're coming in and you don't you don't have it. Uh, so I think it's just when you're really passionate about it, uh, it just really makes everybody else want to get on board and to 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 go with you. I think that's that's the you know part of it. It's um, we've tried to build you know a culture at, at Peerview where. You know, there's everybody has an opportunity to, to contribute in terms of ideas, and we create things together. And it's uh, it's one where we we get together and have healthy debates about product features and things that we're going to do. And and uh, but it's it's uh, an opportunity where then at the end of the day, everybody has ownership with the things that we've taken forward. And that's uh, that's been something that we've we've really you know been pleased to do because it's just you know. What's what's the the phrase that you, you know? If you want to go someplace fast, go alone. But if you want to go someplace far, you go together. And I think that's we've just had to build that where we're we're going to hey we're we're doing this together. So <laughs> we're, we're yeah. Oh, and it sounds like you're going far too um, with Peerview. Do you mind giving just sort of the thirty second elevator pitch? Sure. Well, so Peerview is a comparative analytics app, as you mentioned, and it uh, really provides an opportunity for CPA firms to load the financial data that they have for their businesses into our application, and it shows them how their clients are doing, how they're doing year over year, how they could be, how they're doing compared to their peers, mm -hmm. and then also provides them with ways to communicate to their clients how they could be doing better. And so, in a in a in an environment for the accounting profession where it's really uh, largely been tax and audit. Historically, some firms have been 85, 90, 95 percent of their revenue has come from tax and audit. Uh, now that really there's a big transition that's taking place to move to become more consultative or to be better advisors, and and our application really kind of helps them take the data they already have and to to make that transition to to use it to get back in front of clients and to communicate with them. So yeah, I, I love the concept and I love the product. I, I'm curious. We talk about sparks. What what was the initial spark of the idea? 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was me being an end user in in my old firm and saying somebody needs to do a better job of aggregating this data yeah. and providing information for for business owners. And I think the you know a lot of the work that I did was in corporate finance, and so I was helping uh, business owners with debt and equity placements. And when you take them into a bank, they're always getting compared to uh, the application that uh, that most of the banks use there. That's really good for making. Uh, credit decisions, but it's not great information in terms of making better operating decisions from it. So they, a business owner couldn't take that where it just you know has revenue, cost of goods sold, OPEX, net income. They're not gonna use that and go, oh, I need to, I need to change this in my business. But right. so we, we said, you know, we could do a better job of pulling in uh, the same data, providing it in a better way. And that was kind of the, the spark behind it. And it was, it was one of those, and one of the things that we use, uh, it was a phrase that we use a lot is, is that this meant, might not work, but. Yeah. And, and when you sort of create a culture that says, that's the other part that we've done is that this might not work, but, yeah. and, and then we, we try it and, and we see if this, if it, if it works great, if it doesn't, then okay, we learned and we move on. So, yeah. yeah. I, I will just comment on about peer view. I mean, speaking from the accounting firm's chair that has now seen the product, um, you know, quick little story got to know Glenn, got to know about his product. And so I brought him in to show this product to our technology leader, Patrick Smith, probably several months ago now. Um, that meeting went really well. And Patrick himself, as an industry leader of CLA, mm -hmm. says, this is pretty powerful. Like, we need to talk to some other people about this because think of the power behind the data that a CLA has. Huge firm, all this data, how do we harness it, which is what Peerview is trying to do. Um, and so sure enough, we lined up another meeting with our manufacturing leader who happened to be in town about mm -hmm. a month ago and we got it in front of her and what was her reaction in that meeting? Yeah. Wow, this mm -hmm. thing is really cool. So uh, these firms are all at a space where they know they've got this data and they're trying to figure out how do we make sense of it? And that's where this partnership is. And so that's the other thing, you know, when you want to build a good culture, it's always be thinking about the person across the table, yeah. right? So I, I didn't have to introduce Glenn to anyone at CLA, but it's like, how can I help, right? And right. that's the message that we really are trying to send to some of these tech companies. How can we help you get your product further and to market faster mm -hmm. if we can? And so we're still talking and trying to work through some of the CLA leadership levels, but I, I think he's got a product here that is truly phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's really exciting from a, a founder standpoint and leadership standpoint, because if you can kind of cut through, there's a lot that you could be paying attention to, and you need to be paying attention to a lot. That's right. Uh, but at the same time, to be able to quickly hone in on the things that are uh, quite different mm -hmm. or changing uh, the most, That's or right. that you wish were changing the most but aren't, um, having that, having software do some of that hard work really makes a lot of sense. And, and that, that shift culturally to more of like consultative approach yes. really resonated with me just because of everything that we've done uh, with CLA so far. You know, I was out visiting Patrick last week in yep. Seattle um, and, and really understanding that it, it, it is about consulting and it's about using all the tools possible right. in order to deliver the value and, and ultimately help these companies succeed. That's right. I'd love to talk a little bit more about um, that culture mm -hmm. and how culturally you can kind of weave in. I, I know how important a focus on metrics and a focus on revenue growth obviously is very important mm -hmm. uh, with high growth tech companies. Um, how that culture kind of changes when you go from startup to scale up, even to, to enterprise. Um, but but in, in talking about that sort of like startup phase, um, what are some of the things that you think culturally are most important for uh, a founder or even a founding team to be focused on with respect to 
metrics with respect to reporting. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's one of those things where you're moving fast, but you don't want to be moving so fast that you're yeah. not watching the I mean, I, writing on the wall. Glenn obviously can comment as well because he's been in those, those yeah, shoes. Sure. But I, I would say some of the most important things at that early stage is not getting all of your time wrapped up and trying to figure out what the numbers actually are, right? Get someone in there that knows how to do it quickly and can get you the data out of it that is gonna help you grow your business from startup to next phase. Yeah. Um, secondly, you need to find people that you can quote unquote partner or, or a team with that are gonna help make connections in the market. Yeah. Right? So there are people that have a ton of companies or, or people they work with that likely could add a tremendous amount of value as you're scaling a product. Mm. I feel like CLA is that way. Yeah, absolutely. Your technology might fit mm. extremely well into our client base. We just need to know how to do it, talk with you, and, and try to help you that way. I think that's crucial for startups. Well, and that's one of the things I love about the concept of PeerView. I haven't used the product yet, or maybe I have and I haven't even known it um, <laughs> because I'm not, not an accounting firm. But um, I, I love the, this concept of benchmarking and really comparing to your peers, which I assume is where the name came from. That's right. Um, to be able to say, all right, I'm a SaaS company, B2B SaaS marketplace. How do I compare to other SaaS marketplaces that are out there in the mm -hmm. market? Um, as you've seen more and more customers using that, what kind of insights are they gaining from that sort of comparative yeah, it, it, it really depends on the kind of industry, you know, whether they're in you know, construction or manufacturing or SaaS companies. Uh, so there would be different metrics that would be you know, really important to them to, to be paying attention to. So there are you know, examples of those things that you can see where a construction company has way too much inventory or way too, you know, they're collecting their AR too slow or those kinds of things that, that can be taken back to them. And something that is, is not always apparent, so you know, if you're in the accounting space you might talk about inventory turns or ar days out you know those kinds of things that that are sort of routine for for us and you might give us a, an entrepreneur a metric that says hey your inventory turns are five times and your peers are 15 times and you know if unless they're really uh, you know deal with those kinds of things all the time that can be sort of intimidating in some ways. Your debt to equity ratio is eight to one and your peers are three to one. I don't even, I don't know what debt to equity ratio or my leverage ratio if you use that, you know. If you tell me debt to equity, I might be able to kind of figure out, okay, debt, there's gotta be debt and equity involved with this, but leverage, I have no idea. Um, so <laughs> so it, some of it's making sense of some of those numbers at, at, the, at a base level for every entrepreneur, but then not only that, but it's helping them to see that, you know, if, I, if I'm, my leverage ratio is eight to one and my peers are three to one, what can I do about that? I can I can lower my debt. I can increase my equity by either being more profitable or injecting money in, or some combination of those those things, and that becomes the conversation about less about you know what is the what is the ratio and what does it mean to but in that but now more about what what can we do to help you make this improvement and so that that becomes the the bigger part of the conversation that that now we know what the things are that we can do to to improve this and and an eight to one debt to equity ratio is not going to be three to one next month. This is going to take, you know, six months or nine or 12 or 18 months to, to have a, a an effect on to, to, you know, something that big. So, so then it also becomes kind of the plan and becomes the follow on conversation that says, okay, we're going to get with you next month and we're going to review X month. We're going to do this and then we're going to review this and we're going to do this. And, and, and so that becomes that, that piece. And, you know, the other part you mentioned startup to scale up to, you know, that that's the other thing too, that's, that those metrics, the most important metrics to those companies change as as they Absolutely. move through those different uh, stages. So, 
you know, a startup SaaS company is not worried about churn when you don't have any customers to actually churn. So right. you're worried about it's customer cash. acquisition. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's cash, it's customer acquisition. And those are things that, that you're mostly concerned about is how, do I have enough runway to get enough customers to even worry about churn? And, and then once you kind of move past some of those things, then you kind of move into the different stages and you start looking at different metrics. And so that's something else that an advisor can kind of help to know what stage is this company in and what are those most important things. Because at the end of the day, we all have a limited sort of, um, you know, attention span that we've got to, it's, it's maybe three metrics or sure. five at the most that we can really pay attention to and start to, 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 to affect. And once we kind of get those in line, then we can maybe start looking at another three to five metrics and, you know, or keep one or two of the same ones and those are going to be most important. So it's, you know, it's kind of helping to, you know, sort through all of the things that, that what's the noise and what are the things that we really need to be paying attention to. So, yeah. yeah. As you're, as you're in that startup stage, have you seen, or not when, as you are, but as your clients are in uh, that startup stage, have you seen any uh, startups that culturally have done a really good job of, of, making certain financial metrics known and communicating to the rest of the team. I know you probably don't have necessarily direct um, input into it, but w that's one of the things I've been uh, very curious about and interested in is how, how do I provide more transparency uh, to the team here at mm -hmm. Powder Keg without overwhelming, making sure that it's easy to comprehend and digest um, for, for just so everyone can be acting entrepreneurially sure. instead of waiting to be told to do something, if they know, hey, the ARR number to hit is 500, you know, 500K net new contracts, and we're at 496, they know that it's do everything sure. you can to land one more customer to push it over the line. Yeah. Um, have you, in those early stages of a startup, what are some of those metrics that, obviously revenue is a very important mm -hmm. one, but what are some of the other ones that startups should be paying attention to? Yeah, honestly, at the startup phase, I think it's more about communicating the strategy and also um, being transparent about the cash. I mean, I honestly think a startup is in business because it's gotten investments, it's got a cash run, right, while yeah. it's building its product. At least if it's I not bootstrapped. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and so you gotta be transparent as to where is the product at in terms of um, completion, uh, mm -hmm. when is it gonna be launched, um, how, how long is your cash left? I mean, I think you kind of have to explain a lot of this to your people. You can't mm -hmm. keep it up here um, and, that's, and, and everyone think everything's okay. So right. I think you've got to be really transparent with your team. I don't see a whole lot of metrics other than an ARR or an MRR, things like that. It's just more about where are we at in the stage of the product plus how much cash burn do we have. I think that's the main things in a startup. Yeah, I would. I totally agree. And I think the, the other thing that I would say is that if, if the – uh, numbers 500,000 we're at 496 but I can't do anything about that in my role if I if I have no way of making the move to get another 4,000 in in sales then that metric may not be as important to me to understand as mm -hmm. as as what it is that what can I do if maybe my role is in customer service and so my role is to make sure that we don't lose the other 496 that we yeah. you know that we've already brought in or something like that so it's also like you know, getting metrics to each of the uh, people in their position that are that they have the ability to affect in some way, shape, or form. So if it's, yeah, uh, you know, customer acquisition, they may not have anything to do Absolutely. in that role. But well, that'll uh, happen more yeah. and more as you hit that scale stage, which I, I would think Peerview is kind of in that scale. We sc are yeah. scale up stage right That's now. Right. What What are some of the things that have shifted culturally as you've gone from startup to scale up? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the the big things for us is that you know once we've as we've um, started bringing in more customers, then it becomes uh, more of a shift for us about managing those customer relationships and uh, uh, you know the data that we're onboarding and how we how do we handle that and how do we resolve things with them and getting you know just keeping those projects moving. Uh, so there's more of a shift from us in terms of uh, the operations piece than it just being. You know the dev team and sales team. Now yeah. we've got a we've we're building out that ops team to really provide that support, and so that's a that's really key. It's all, then it becomes what's what's really interesting in that is that you also then start to see uh, the developers have a closer relationship with the customers because then all of a sudden they start to understand why did we build out what we built out or how are our customers use use cases then start to come in a little differently and you, every step we take makes us closer to the customer yeah. because because then you you know it's different from here we want to build these features out because we we believe that customers will want this and will want to buy this to now um you know that we need to make these changes because of you know mm -hmm. the customers are demanding these things you know that kind of stuff and it's uh it just helps everybody to get uh you know closer closer aligned with what the customers are looking for so to me it, it, it and you're explaining it you go from startup to basically a phase where it's all about execution we have to make mm -hmm. the customers That's happy right. do what they're asking right. and then you also said it well it's all about talent how yeah. do you retain and then go get more talent yeah. right so I, I think that's kind of the big pieces of that next phase. Yeah, definitely. As CLA Indiana has really grown and scaled here and that culture has galvanized, what were some of the lessons that you learned as you went from, I know it wasn't like your classic startup, but in a lot of ways it was going from early office to, Mm -hmm. uh, now, how many people are in the Indiana office now? We're right about 90. Wow, that's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. So, what are the things that, that you encountered there as you scaled? Yeah, I mean, uh, finding the right seats, uh, right bodies for the right seats, I think is a big one. So like mm -hmm. I said, once you have the spark and the passion and the engagement role, and you got to find the right people that are going to pay that forward. Yeah. So I think one of the challenges was putting people in the right seats within the office that I know are going to lead and kind of take their area to the next level. Yeah. So... One of them here was a no-brainer. So our technology leader, Travis Chamberlain, he kind of raised his hand, and, and I knew he had it in him. He's got a long history in tech here in Indy. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for, someone that's got a passion for something, has the engagement, and I know can kind of help us go to market in a much quicker and, and just more efficient way. And so I had a lot of those people, a lot of that happen over time, and it just really helped us propel quick. You got to find the people that are attracted to that kind of spark that's right and then bring them in to create, yep. create some more energy absolutely now that I've, I've definitely witnessed that both at cla and at a lot of the other companies here in the powder keg community yep um at, at, you talk about talent um i know that that's the number one pain point uh you know last year when we did the tech census in a number of different markets across the country number one pain point whether it's startup scale up or even enterprise number one pain point is talent how do you attract and retain the right talent at a technology business? What are some of the things that you've seen um, in either the clients you're working with or at your own business uh, with respect to attracting and retaining talent that uh, maybe were hard lessons to learn or even big ahas that you've come across? I think you got to get ahead of a, a lot of different things. So first of all, let's just start with the hardest one is compensation, yeah. right? You got to make sure you're aligned from a compensation perspective. Yes, people might be passionate about what you're doing. They may love your vision. They may love that you as an owner or an entrepreneur, but if you're not paying them market, mm -hmm. that can be a big problem. So I think you got to get ahead of that. And, and what any I tools, see- Any tools or resources you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, what I see a lot of tech companies doing especially is looking at incentive-based comp structures. They're getting creative. Like mm. how can we issue options? 
How can we do different things to give you equity over time, deferred comp plans? You just got to be creative. And I think people are looking for something like that. They yeah. get some of these tech companies are growing, scaling their startups, and they love the passion and, and they just, they're all in. But at the end of the day, if you don't align their personal interest or their livelihood to that, it can be a big problem. And yeah. so I know at CLA, we had to step back at one point and really assess, do we need to elevate our mm. compensation game to align and really retain and attract and we did that oh that's great yeah so get comp right first yep um and then figuring out other benefits and and cultural aspects that are going to attract absolutely the right talent uh what were some of the things that you did early on either at peer review or, or even your service businesses uh prior yeah uh, getting comp right i think is a, is definitely one where we started and and for that part of that for us was uh we hired our first uh, two employees a few years ago and then said, uh, you know, we don't have a health, health insurance plan. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have one in the next six months. And so we'll, we commit to you to have that in place. And so, you know, just being in that early stage startup place, we, uh, we did that. So we just acknowledging where your gaps are. That's and- right. So we know it's here and we, we know that's a shortcoming. So we went in, you know, we've made those things right. So I think it's just uh, in a, in that early stage company, I think sometimes you can't, you're not in a position to, um, to necessarily compete from a compensation standpoint with some of the other larger, maybe more well-funded firms, that kind of thing. So you have to get creative in some ways and try to come up with things that, um, you know, will, will work for you and work for your employees and, uh, and try to try to marry those things up. So um, for us, I think, um, you know, some, th- some other things we've looked at is, you know, our location. So are we in a good spot that uh, enables it makes people proud of kind of where they are and and uh encourages the, that that culture that that you're looking to build uh providing flexibility in terms of being able to do things that uh, you know work from home work from remote locations i mean which is pretty straightforward but um you know within the the last few years i've seen I, even still today i know of tech companies that if you're not there coding in there in the uh uh, you know, within the, the cubicle that they've provided for you, then it doesn't count. And I just, yeah. uh, you know, so, so we've, we've tried this, you know, obviously not embrace that, uh, that piece. So, <laughs> so just, yeah, we're just trying to, you know, I think part of the, the transparency is just communicating where we are and what we can do. And here's where we, we, you know, what we'd like to do and where we'd like to be in the future. And, and, uh, just, you know, just, I think, I think it's living it too, in the sense that if it was, uh, um, if you were asking your employees to do something you weren't doing, I think that would be the other part of it. So, you know, yeah. so if you're right along the, you know, in the same boat with them, I think that's, that's pretty key. So, yeah. And yeah. I, some other things I know that make, could make a difference, uh, Glenn sitting on some of them is just, you know, onboarding is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they join, make sure they feel like they're part of something yeah. special. Mm-hmm. Don't just throw them in a cubicle and say, here you go, have fun, right? Make them feel like there's a passion here. You're, you're, you should be blessed to be part of this company. Because what are some of the, of the things that you do at CLA? Onboarding day, we make it special, right? We uh, we buddy them up with those that are kind of more at their level yep. so that they can hear exact experience from people that are literally in their shoes. Instead of a 40-some-year-old trying to tell a 22-year-old, welcome to the firm, it's let's get them matched with their peers. It's so important. Um, make that day special. Let them go out to lunch with several of their peers. Get them in a room together, all the people joining at one time. Get them all together so that that becomes a class and they kind of get close. Mm-hmm. Um, give them some CLA swag. I mean, just mm-hmm. a bunch of different stuff that we're just like, you know, welcome to the firm. You mean a lot to us. Let's get you started on the right path. 
That's great. Yep. I love that. A- anything that you've learned over the years, Glenn? Yeah, we do similar. I mean, when, when somebody comes in, we tell them the story. We make sure that they understand kind of where we've come from to where we yeah, are today and kind of helping them to s- sort of get on the on-ramp with us kind of where the, where we are at that, at that point and sort of get up to speed from that standpoint. But I think, you know, the, you know, you know, getting connected with uh, with other folks, we have them spend time, um, you know, talking through, you know, just, uh, you know, where they are, where they, how they've come from, and that kind of stuff as well, so that they can, they can make those relationships. And you know, at the end of the day, you're you're you like to work someplace that you like to work with the people. And yeah. I think, so we we try to we try to help uh, encourage those things the best we can. So. And that, that's why I say compensation's not the you know end all. It's a check everything. Box. It's a mm. checkbox. Yeah. And if the people really feel like they're part of a family, they are gonna stay if they if they like where yeah. they work. Well, it seems. Uh, it seems like this would be a no-brainer, but you hear about companies all the time that are kind of put on a show to attract people, but then mm-hmm. you get into the company and it's actually not That's right. a, at all what they're putting out there, which actually is a detriment to the company because cost to replace, uh, LinkedIn just um, did some research here and found that the cost to replace someone uh, in the tech industry is 50 to 250% yep. of their salary, yep. uh, depending on what level they're at, right. which is incredible. Yep. Um, but you, you hear so many companies that are not necessarily authentic in the recruiting process. Um, can you give me a little bit more insight into that that metric or any of the data around um, the cost to replace or the cost of attrition on a team? I mean, there's several things that go into it. It's just it's the loss in productivity that you that you have. It's a potentially loss in revenue that you have. The cost to go out and attract and and bring somebody in, and the time that you have to spend doing all of the the interviewing and the hiring process and all that. So, I mean, there's several things that go into it. I think it's also just the wind that it takes out of the sales when you when you've got, you know. A, a pr- we're assuming this is a productive team member that you wanted to retain <laughs> right. rather than somebody. Yeah. So, so, I mean, in that sense, it's, it's hard and it just, uh, I think it, it, it can take, uh, you know, kind of take a hit on the, on the, everybody's sort of, uh, you know, the attitude and just the, their expectation of what's going on. So, um, so it's, there's, there are a lot of things that you can, some things you can quantify other things that you can't quantify that, that, um, you know, it is a, it's definitely an expense uh, for a company. So, you know, I think it's minding, you know, the shop all along the lines, whether it's through, you know, one-on-one meetings or uh, just the constant communication and feedback and yep. and keeping those things happening so that it's, uh, uh, you know, kind of try to tighten up those those loops and and to avoid uh, those things and just to help people not only to not lose them but to to help motivate them to do the things that uh, you know that they want to do and that the company needs them to do and you know there are those kinds of things that this really can can be contributors to it as well so yeah i i think one of the biggest items that would hurt a cla with people leaving would be our clients yeah right so take a glenn for example let's say we're working with glenn's company and we're doing the work and all of a sudden the staff person leaves and someone new shows up and glenn is like i i had it rolling you guys knew everything and now this new staff person's mm-hmm. asking all new questions and it frustrates clients right so retention is huge for us because of that aspect, yeah. because it's gonna give our clients the best service. Um, we actually have a really great coaching um, program at CLA. Mm-hmm. So we are constantly doing formal and informal coaching of our people. Oh, that's great. And what that does is exactly what you just said. They're always looking for opportunities, right? No one joins a company and just wants to sit there and do the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this coaching allows them to kind of voice, here's where I'd like to go in my career 
are there opportunities? And that coach then can alert leadership and let us know that Johnny or Susie are looking to get into the tech industry and yeah. they love tax. And, and we start finding paths for people within CLA. And so I think the constant coaching and communication with employees is just, it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things um, we were talking about just prior to turning on the mics here, Glenn, was the, the fact that you're in the Union 525 building right. downtown. And I, I know... Uh, it can be hard sometimes to find the, the right coach and the right uh, mentors in the startup to scale up right. sort of phase. But there are a number of scale ups out of that space here in Indianapolis. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about the culture there and, and some of the, the benefits that you've gotten uh, of being around other entrepreneurs and, and maybe even uh, just here in the community? Yeah, we, we intentionally chose uh, that location because of the environment and just the fact that there were you know so many other uh, early stage startup scale up companies that were there and and uh, you know before or when we moved in there wasn't a coffee shop now there's a coffee shop which even helps sort of even foster more of the of the sharing that goes on but um, you know you'll uh, you have the chance meetings that you bump into somebody and have an opportunity to talk to them you know, hey I've been thinking about this can I you know you know get 30 seconds and you bounce something off of somebody or um, an opportunity to say, hey, let's grab lunch and let's go, let's, you know, let's talk, you need to talk through something even more. And and I've been on both sides of that where I've gone to people that are farther along than me and had the conversation and said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm you know, doing a round, you know, that looks like this and I'm planning to do this. What are your tips on this? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, I'm, I'm worried about this and my business, can you, can we talk about that? And I've had other people that have come that are at an earlier stage than we are that have come to us and said, hey, what are, you know, we're, we're kind of slogging through this. Would you take a look at this and help us with this? And um, it's just, it really helps. It, I, I would say it helps the, the owners of the companies for us to be able to share those kinds of things. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but the other thing is that I see that our team is also meeting with, with people, you know, that they'll have those same conversations that they'll run into somebody. They'll be having other meetings that are there. You know, Powder Keg has events there. So, I mean, there are all kinds of things that take place there that um, that really just helps foster that conversation with, you know, with folks in different roles and getting a chance to, you know, to, to solve things. We we had a total chance thing. With, we had our developers were standing at a at an event in Launch Indie, which is also in the space. They're having a conversation about a problem they that they couldn't get solved. And, you know, a developer from one of the other firms overheard the conversation and goes, oh, yeah, you know what you need to do is this. And, and, <laughs> That's great. and they wrote it out on a napkin and went back into, you know, left and went and did it. And they came back and, and it, it solved the problem that they had been just banging their heads against the wall on something that they wow. had, had not encountered before. And so uh, it's, the, you know, those are the ones where you just go, you know, those aha moments that are big. And then there are a lot of others are sort of intangibles that the energy's there and it's, you know, there's, there's just this attitude of, you know, we're all, we're all in this to, you know, yeah. to move these things forward. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Community is, uh, can be so powerful and helping a startup or a scale up continue to grow and scale. And it's one of the things I really enjoyed about CLA is mm -hmm. that one, you're plugging into the powder keg community mm -hmm. and not just in a, in a way that's, uh, dollars and cents, but in a way that, you know, you're, you're at the events, you know, Patrick flew out sure. here to Indiana to kick off um, this relationship. Yep. Uh, likewise, CLA has its own community of customers, of other uh, other relationships that you have, both locally mm -hmm. here in Indiana and in each of the markets that you serve, but also nationally. That's right. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that you've seen uh, just from, t from uh, really plugging into the power of community? Yeah, I mean, I can speak, uh, I guess the purpose of CLA, quite honestly, is to provide opportunities for our people 
our customers, clients, and our communities, right? So we are, no matter what community you're in, you're going to find CLA really involved in that community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the exciting things about our agreement here is just around the tech hubs, right? The, the Charlotte, the Raleigh, the Minneapolis, the Denver, the Indy, the Seattle, whatever this grows to, yeah. um, the opportunity that we all have to give back to the tech communities, I think is a huge uh, area that and why CLA was very interested in this. It's great to have clients. It's great to do the work. Don't get me wrong, but really the impact we can have on each of our local communities by really plugging into that community base and that in those tech hubs it's just phenomenal so excited for it yeah me too as you see kind of the benefits of cross-pollinating uh, not just within those communities but across communities saying hey right. this entrepreneur in indianapolis really needs to meet this entrepreneur in the fintech industry in charlotte yep. or this organization in charlotte that's focused on fintech you know vice versa talking about a company in south carolina uh, and how do you connect them over to someone in Denver? There, there are huge opportunities there, and it's fun to see when they happen serendipitously. Yes. But when you can start to be intentional about it, and I, I've seen you do this, Randy, uh, just being intentional about saying, hey, you know who this company needs to meet is this other company. Absolutely. And, and it does seem sort of in the DNA and the culture of CLA to do that. Just the power of listening and connecting. I, a, a quick story about Launch Indie. So we, too, have some shared space there. We're, we're a big sponsor. There's a company in the basement that recently, their startup, he asked, hey, is there someone in the building that, that you know that I could talk to just from a mentor aspect? So I connected him with someone at a, another company cool. that we work with there. And just making that connection, both people were just like, wow, that was really cool of you to do that. Even the receiving guy who now feels, wow, I can be a mentor to someone, that's really yeah. cool. Um, just being able to be that connector, I think is awesome. And I will share with you, our Charlotte leader was here last week, yeah. I believe. So you got to meet Brandon. Yeah after he left, I mean, he, people don't realize the power Indiana has. Yeah. They come here and then they, they experience it and then they leave. And they're like, I had no idea what that community, all the stuff it has going for it. Mm -hmm. it it's truly a special place. It's powerful. It We're is. on a tear right now, which yep. is, uh, which is great. And it's cool to hear about success stories like Peerview uh, and hear more of uh, other companies that CLA is serving so currently. Great. Um, well, I want to thank you both for being on the show today, sharing some of your story. I hope we can do it again soon. Um, share some updates as we continue to grow and scale. Um, but this is your host, uh, Matt Hunkler, again. Just wanted to say thanks for tuning in. I hope you walk away uh, with a lot of insights and uh, maybe even some things that you can apply to your own business. You can follow Randy and CLA at CLA Connect on Twitter and all the, the awesome social media channels. And then Glenn at Glenn Dunlap. Uh, we'll link those up in the show notes. But to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders in areas outside of Silicon Valley, uh, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. And we'll catch you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups. <laughs>